Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. This episode of Tourpreneur is sponsored by Ventrata. Ventrata is a proven and versatile booking platform built for high-volume tours and attractions. With contactless booking, payment, and check-in solutions, they can get your business back up and running quickly while keeping your staff and customers safe. For more, go to ventrata.com. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Tourpreneur, the podcast where we flatten the learning curve for tour operators around the world. Today on the show, we are joined by Patrick Van Rosendahl of B New York. He shares with us how he grew his business to seven figures and how he was able to transform his business into what he calls a content factory, building content in books, podcasts, social media, live stream. He also shares with us the moment when COVID hit and the dramatic impact that had on his family. Patrick has a young son who needed serious medical surgery, and there was no money in the kitty for that. How did he deal with it, and how did coffee help him? That's today's episode, 133 of Tourpreneur. Patrick Van Rosendahl of BENYC, welcome to Tourpreneur. Hi, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me. So how do I say hello and welcome in Flemish? In Flemish, it's Goedendag, and in French, because in Belgium we speak actually three official languages. It's Dutch, French, and German, and I heard that you're learning German. So it's a Goedendag, Goedendag, Bonjour. Fantastic. Love to hear different languages on Tourpreneur. And I wanted to bring that up because your business, BENYC, very much targeted to our friends in Belgium. Can I just correct you? I'm, I'm, uh, it, it's just like a smaller thing, like it's B New York. And that's the whole spiel. It's like B from being the city, like B New York, but it's also BE from Belgium. I stand corrected. No, that's good. <laughs> B, B New York. There we go. B yeah, New York. Be adventures, be the dream, be fantastic, be fabulous, and be like B New York, because New York is all the, these things. Yes, absolutely. So how did this all get started? How did you start up this business? It's a funny story. Like I actually started my career in finance. I was head of marketing for a French big bank company. And then there was a big crisis in banking. Uh, we all remember the crisis in 2010. And then I had to like try to find a new job. I moved back to Belgium, uh, started working in the diamond industry. For the diamond industry, I traveled all around the world. 
And on one of my business tips, I fell in love with a beautiful American woman. There's always a woman involved, as you know. Always, yeah. And um, my parents were very against it. Like they said, uh, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. And the more they say no to me, the more I think yes. So finally, I ended up marrying the girl. But after a year, I had to call mom crying like, oh, mom, you're so right. I shouldn't have done this. So we got separated. And then I was too stubborn to go back to uh, to Belgium because I did a big goodbye party in Belgium with bells and whistles like, yeah, I'm going to follow the love of my life. And I had a career in finance. I did well in the diamond industry. So yeah, I will make it in the United States as well. But I had no money left. I really needed the money right away. So I started working in the restaurant industry, a beautiful industry that I still love. And part-time I started showing like other people the city. At one point I took the exam to become a tour guide. And all of a sudden, um, like when I was taking the exam and, and I came to the, the person in front of, um, that was taking the exam, I said like, yeah, where are you from? Because you have a kind of little accent. I said, yeah, I'm from Belgium. And she said like, yeah, you must be the first Belgium licensed New York City tour guide. I said, oh, well, really? So I started to write like um, press communiques and then to, to all Belgian press. And I said like, yeah, I'm the first licensed New York City tour guide from Belgium. And I had like big articles in a newspaper. Funny story, apparently I was not the first one. It was like an older lady that had it before me. So I could not use that ever again. But yeah, the rest is history. I started creating my business. And from then on, it went uphill. What was your main motivation? You know, you sat there. You're obviously a very intelligent, experienced, qualified man. What were you dreaming of? Why did you want to start a travel business? I always say that we are in the people making happy business and I really wanted to make people happy. And that's like my main goal in the diamond industry. Okay. You can make people happy, but it was really B2B business to business. Finance industry was all about money. And I saw very unhappy people with a lot of awful lot of money. And when I was guiding people around, like I really had the impression that I was making an impact in people's life. It's so rewarding. I'm a person that likes to give. I like to give more than I receive. And it makes me happy to, to be able to give. It's the most beautiful job in the world. A year ago, at time of recording, a year ago, I, was, I just set foot on a cruise in Florida going to the Caribbean. First time I'd ever gone on a cruise. What I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm pretty depressed now when I see Facebook memories because we're all not able to travel but, you know, I was talking to the family about this and I said, you know, what I do remember from that cruise is not the ship and all of that. It was the experiences we had. Every time we hit a new island, we had a, a different tour. And I can remember the names of the tour guides, the companies, where we went, what we saw, what we enjoyed. You know, that's really crystallized in my memory. And I think it will be for a long time because they made me happy. I wasn't really into the cruise thing. It wasn't really me. For me, it was like waking up in a new destination, getting on a new tour and seeing something I'd never seen before. And that's the beauty of our business. And that's why I never, ever want to change an industry anymore it's like for me that's it i finally found my purpose in life so you've got your qualification in new york city what were your next steps did you go work for someone else and, and learn your chops or did you start up on your own right away i did and in the beginning it was very complicated because like a lot of us we wanted to be different than others and i was thinking out of the box like i should do like adventure tours food tours and going like very extreme 
to make a difference because I think there's more or less 3,000 licensed New York City tour guides and there's a lot of competition. And then after, I think, a year or two, all of a sudden I woke up in the morning and I looked in the mirror and I said, like, what is like the real difference that I have and that I can bring compared to the other tour guides? And actually it was very simple. It's me being from Belgium and living in New York. And that's how the whole idea of Be New York came along. New York for Belgians, by Belgians living in the city. And um, this was a really niche, like nobody did it really before, like building a business just with that idea. And since then, I've been building on it and building on it and building on it year after year, year after year. And what I strongly believe as a brand as well is you need to be a content factory. Because once you're a content factory, you build a content library. And once you are have that big content library, you become the reference and people will see you as the reference. And even like, then it's like a snowball effect. Like now, I mean, my content factories, I wrote three books about New York. I was lucky enough that they became bestsellers, translating a couple of languages. I started podcasts, started making videos, and I heavily invested in social media. And that's my content library. And I benefited even during the crisis, like being in New York while COVID happened. I've been called several times by the media in Belgium to report and to be a sort of a reporter and taking on the role. And um, yeah, that's something what I can advise to everyone. Find your niche and keep building that content library, like podcast, every week a podcast, doing videos, going live, whatever you're good at, whatever you feel comfortable at and do it. It's funny. I'm going to ask you a question here going to pick your brain a little bit because I, I get emailed quite a lot from people who listen to tourpreneur and they're like hey love what you're doing I'd love to start a podcast for my own business you and I might disagree on this but I often will write back to that person and say great I love I love podcasting as a medium I love to help other people get into it how is your booking platform how is your SEO how is your booking flow how is your branding how is your logo how are your reviews please work on all of those before you even start to have a podcast. I get the bread and butter right. And there's been a few tour operators who thought I was a little arrogant in my response, but really I'm like, no, no, you need to build the foundations of your business before you jump too far ahead. Once you've completed all of that, then I say, well, then look at YouTube. Well, not such, because I think YouTube is an integral part of, of having a website. Video is very powerful, but certainly podcasting, I think should be lower down that list before everything else. Would you agree with that? I don't because... I think you should start like right away. It doesn't matter that the first podcast is not the best podcast. We all know that. But you need to bring content out. I don't know if you know Gary V, eh, the yes, famous Gary V. I do. That's, <laughs> I mean, he's saying that all the time over and I think he's right. I mean, I don't agree with everything with him. And also for everyone is different. Like some people like to write, some people like to speak, some people like to take pictures. I mean, you have to find your tone of voice and what you're good at. And of course, you will not have like immediate success. I mean, it are building blocks. It takes some time. It is incredible what you did. Like you built an authority in such a short notice. For me, it took almost like 10 years to uh, establish a certain reputation. 
It's interesting, Patrick, because it's a bit like people say Joe Rogan, you know, he got that $100 million deal with Spotify and people thought he was an overnight success. He was on TV before and, and I know, and you, you had your experiences before as well that made that you are, no, and, and I agree on that as well. Of course, of course, yeah. My feeling on it is I don't want to take money coaching someone how to build a podcast if their reviews are bad or their website isn't very good. You know, I say to them, look, spend the money on that first, then come and have a chat. Because if they listen to the podcast and they land on the website and there's bad reviews or the photos are bad or the copy is bad, then I just think spending money on that is, you should prioritize your website and your booking flow. But no, it's an interesting um, bit of feedback. Maybe I have to go away and think about that because I do get quite a few emails from people who want consulting and I just don't want to take their money until they have all of that fixed, you know? (laughs) I mean... Bad businessman that I am. Bad entrepreneur. Yeah, I think you should change that a little bit because you give valuable advice and... Sometimes people pay you to get that type of advice. So um, maybe you should reconsider. Let's get back to this. When you started out with the business, what was the first thing you realized you didn't know and had to teach yourself or hire someone else to do for you? Everything. I'm a people person, but there's a lot of things that I cannot do. One of the first things is like finding a good accountant. In Europe, taxes are completely different than in the United States. And I had a few of accountants, was very hard to find one. But then luckily I found a company that is specialized in that, understands the business and that understands how we do business. Caldwell, it's a rather like a small, good company. They helped me also through the crisis. They were constantly giving advice and helping out. And that is one of the things. But I mean, marketing and branding, I have a background, I have a master in consumer marketing, but still like creating a logo, creating a brand, I had to outsource it. And I'm glad that I did. One of the the things that really, really helped for me, the advertising agency came up with the idea of me wearing all the time yellow because hey, the yellow New York, the yellow cap yellow. In the beginning, I was against it because I'm more the type of guy a blue Ralph Lauren, a button down. I mean, my tours are also not that cheap. I want to have something more high end. It's like yellow. It, it, it doesn't fit with the band. And they were insisting on it. And I said, okay, I trust you. I kept wearing that yellow all the time, even if I had a TV interview, like yellow, yellow, yellow. And now people recognize me as the yellow tour guide. And it's actually, it helps me because when I'm with a large group on Times Square, people recognize me from far. I always say, I never lost a person not on purpose. On purpose, I sometimes lose a client, <laughs> but not on purpose because everyone recognized that yellow from far and it became my brand by accepting advice from others and accepting the fact that you don't know everything. Um, That's a massive takeaway for all of us because I think some of us kind of get stuck in we know best and it's the business is our baby. So I love that advice. And actually, I did the same thing with Torpreneur. I paid good money to have the logo done because I knew for a podcast, I needed a logo that would pop and also show people that my podcast is not a travel. It's not a consumer-based podcast. It's a business podcast. And that's really hard to get across. So I love that you went out and got um, branding and marketing advice. And actually, in those early days, Patrick, so you were marketing to Belgium, what were your first steps to get noticed? I mean, you said you wrote to the press and said you were one of the first Belgian tour guides. What else did you do? I mean, the press is a big thing. I mean, manage the press for free publicity, never underestimate. But don't think that the press is waiting for you to write something. I mean, it's, it's, you have to work with it. They have to see you as a source of information and you have to build personal relationships with them. 
When I was working in um, finance, I was lucky enough that they sent all the managers to London uh, for um, a media training with the BBC. And that's one of the things that I that I took away from that. It's like these journalists or persons, like instead of buying an expensive gift, invite them at your home and become friends with them and show them that you know your topic very well and that they can call you anytime and don't expect to be in the copy or in whatever they do, that you're in that copy all the time. Like just do it genuine. That's what I do. Like, like if a journalist has a question about New York, I, right away, I don't think, oh, they need to give a quote of me. No, I, I'm trying to look what they're looking for. And like, yeah, I love connecting people and, and I hook them up. Solid advice that um, journalists can be your friends in the same way that I feel that unless we've been taught how to write a media or a press release, that is also something worth outsourcing because I get a lot of press releases sent to me here for my daily brief, and I would say 90% of them are not written very well. And most of these journalists, if you think about it, they've got deadlines, they've got editors screaming at them. If you write them a press release, that's more or less they can lift it, tweak a few sentences here and there, and they've got their article. They will love you to pieces. As long as the information's good, you know, the info's got to be good. But the more time you put into that press release to make it easier for them to print that story, they'll love you for it. And you've got more chance of getting published, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other early steps, and, and that is for me a big one, and I live by it, is um, every customer, if it's one customer or a group of customers, make sure they're happy when they leave. Before COVID, I had a team of tour guides and they knew. I gave them $100 in their pockets and I said, like, if you feel at the end of the tour, the customer is not happy, do whatever it takes. Buy them a cocktail, take them to the strip club. I don't care, but make sure they're happy. For me, it's it's making that mark because they are your brand ambassadors. And I don't care if I lose money because for me, that's that's not important. It's about my reputation and my, my brand. And that is important. And also if I see that one tour guide, I mean, to be honest, it never happened. Like have a lot of cocktails that he needs to buy. Then I can also take action and go with him on a tour and see maybe he does something wrong or... Yeah, I can tweak and make him better. And how do guys. you, so your, your tour guides, are they New Yorkers or are they fellow Belgians? They're Belgian New Yorkers. So I, I work a lot with um, inspiring actors or wannabe actors and I give them a chance. I also have the possibility with my company to uh, sponsor some visas, internships. Yeah, they're all Belgians, but a, a huge passion for New York. So that's course. a little easier for you because culturally... And I'm going to pick my words carefully here. I worked for a Dutch company for quite a few years. The feedback you get from a Dutch manager is delivered in a very different way than you'll get it from a UK manager. In that a UK manager would be very polite and spend 10 minutes telling you you've done something wrong. Whereas a Dutchman will say, Shane, that's shit. <laughs> and then it's true. But that's the same way how customers are completely different. And that's also why I think I found a niche. I understand what my customers are looking for. And that I think is, is this, the, a little bit the secret of my success is like, I understand what they're looking for because I was looking for the same thing. Like, for example, most of my clients are not interested in all the history of New York. They're interested at a certain extent, but in Europe, we have so much history and we have so much history classes. I mean, they're more interested in the fun facts, in the... It's more infotainment. And I know that a couple of my colleagues will kill me for that because I think don't underestimate the power of entertainment, leaving a good mark and a positive mark. And, and I mean, 
it's tricky, huh? but it's less important. Uh, I'm sorry to say um, it's it's more the way how you tell it, how you express it. Um, okay, the facts need to be right. Eh? You cannot tell lies. Eh? You need to know your, your story. I mean, but that's easy. In New York, you have to take an exam. No exam, no tour guide. For me, in my business, it's less important. So I'm looking at some of your tours here. So I'm looking at the public tours. You've got one called From Shopster to Mobster. What does that broadly involve? I have like five tours like that, like public tours. The Shops to Mobster tours, we take them from Noho to Soho to Chinatown and we end up in Night Court. It's like a public place in New York that you can visit and you can actually see the people that are arrested the day before uh, going in front of the judge. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny because Night Court start to know me, uh, the guy with the yellow jacket. Even ask started requesting me um, the security guys like chocolates from Belgium once in a while. I try for every tour to find something like atypical to do that they say like, wow, that we make like an impression in their visits. It's so fun to, yeah. I love that because, you know, I think the mark of a good tour is you get that insider knowledge. You get something that you would never find if you just got a map book and did it yourself. And I lived in New York for five years and I, I've never been to night court. <laughs> I didn't know you could, you know. But you, you know, I told you that before we were recording, I said like, you are my VIP. When you come to New York, I'm so thankful for all the work and all the efforts you do that when you come to New York, I will treat you like a king. Oh, you're, you're very kind. I, I look forward to that. I look forward to coming back to New York soon. I can't believe it's been, it's been over a year. I'm normally there every six weeks. It's been a year since I set foot in the Big Apple. Just crazy. I hear your pain. So just, we, we talked a little bit about pricing there. So for instance, the, the Shopster to Mobster tour, what does, so that's 50 uh, euros? Yeah, 50 euros. I do a lot of things. Like I do like the public tours. Um, there we do roughly like 3,000 customers a year. Then we do a, a lot of private tours. And that's also something what I love to do because you really build like personal relationships. We have a lot of celebrities from Belgium that we guided around, like the Minister for Foreign Affairs, we did it like, we took him around. I mean, I took him around like maybe three or four times. Like I spent more than 16 hours face to face with him and his wife. And that's amazing because it's an interaction. And these type of people normally in normal life, if you want to have a meeting with them, you might, if you're lucky, have like 50 minutes or might have a meeting to have lunch with them. But that's it. And thanks to our business, I was able to spend like 16 hours nonstop full attention. Yeah, that's what I do a lot. And then a lot of um, groups, incentives, corporate groups, small groups. Um, yeah, we do like the whole wire of like different types of incoming. I'd love to invite you back on to talk about that once we're all traveling again, because that's I get a lot of emails about operators who want to get involved in more corporate stuff and getting corporate business. I know that that can be very different from consumer. So I'd love to talk to you about that in the future. Maybe we can have a round table with some others. And It's the best industry you can be in it. I mean, uh, I'm actually like pivoting during, during the pandemic and I did a couple of virtual tours for corporate clients. They have money, they have budgets and you can go the extra mile with them. Um, although, I mean, from the experience that I have with the corporate groups, I tried to also to adapt it to my other groups. Like, for example, like incentive groups, when they come to the airport in general, they have like or champagne or they have something nice, sandwiches and, and all that stuff. I try to do that also with the other customers. Like when they arrive in the airport, I will have like a cookie, a bottle of Fiji water. And that experience that normally you only get with corporate clients, I try also to do that for private clients. 
Are you looking to upgrade to a booking platform that will allow you to increase sales, distribute your product more efficiently, and reduce operating costs? Then you need to speak to Ventrata. Ventrata is a proven and versatile booking platform built for high-volume tours and attractions and is trusted by Big Bus Tours, Historic Tours of America, RATP Group, City Sightseeing, and many more to power all their sales channels globally. They have a comprehensive platform that will allow you to manage and view live sales information from multiple channels in a single dashboard. Right now, Ventrata are offering a special pandemic recovery setup and payment plan to any business that books a demo before the 19th of March. For more, go to ventrata.com forward slash tourpreneur. I'd like to ask you about pricing because that's a question we get a lot here from our listeners who have an idea for a tour. They've designed the experience and then they're scratching their head when it comes to pricing. What advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to pricing your experiences? Don't go cheap. Money is not important in, in one way, but otherwise it is very important because with money you can pay good staff, you can have the best team around you. I think that is one of the things that I find very frustrating during the pandemic is that, I mean, I like so much to invest and reinvest. And now, of course, it's difficult. Yeah, like don't go cheap. Do a, a good price setting and stick to it. And you're worth it. And that's it. It's hard, isn't it? It's that whole imposter syndrome, especially if you're new to the business that can come up when you're setting the prices. Did you suffer from any kind of imposter syndrome when you started out? I'm very insecure, although I, I've done tours like a million times and I've guided so many difficult people also and it all went well. I'm always like insecure before every tour, but it's the insecurity that, that pushes me to become better. In the beginning, I was very, I mean, also because I'm in a niche, hey, um, I, I don't have that many competitors. I was confident to set the right pricing right away. At a certain point, I was lucky to get in contact with the biggest, I mean, I was looking for them, like the biggest tour operator in, uh, in Belgium. I went to them and I said, okay, listen, uh, everyone can buy a flight, but not everyone can buy a cool experience. And I want to be your unique selling point. And that's how I created a beautiful partnership with the biggest tour operator in Belgium. They were my sales engine right off the bat. I mean, and they want to have exclusivity. And I said, okay, but exclusivity comes to a price. You have to have a minimum of tours on a yearly basis. And you have to make sure also that you promote because it's one thing to having the product, but also they need to sell it. And it's good, like they have a turnover with, with new staff and everything, but the new staff need to know that in New York, they have a partnership with B New York. Back in the 90s, everyone wanted to have a laptop, a computer with a sticker Intel inside. Nobody knew what the processor was, but everyone needed that sticker eh, on the computer. Now it's M1 with Apple. I want to be that sticker on a trip to New York. I want to be that people know there is B New York inside the trip and that thanks to B New York, it will be a wonderful experience. You make it sound so easy getting a deal like that. I know that you went to business school. So when you sat down and thought, right, I'm going to call or I'm going to email this tour operator in Belgium, how did you formulate your strategy or approach before you'd even picked up the phone or emailed them? I knew that I was on a niche and I knew that I had something like amazing in front of me. And I knew that people were waiting for it. With that, I didn't have too much of a problem. And also, 
writing a book, and that's something that I even recommend to you, Sean, is like, write a book. If you're not good in writing, hire a copywriter and you will tell the stories and he will write it for you. But it creates a credibility that is incredible. And people will look at you differently, like totally differently. And I was lucky enough that I um, had like my first book became an instant bestseller in Belgium. It went so well that it got translated into a couple other languages. The New York Times even did a review about it a certain confidence. And then when you have all that, then it's easier to start a conversation with a potential partner because you have a track record. You have to build on that content library, what I said in the beginning. Um, yeah, because obviously you got that business, which is great, but that meant somebody else lost that business, right? They were already working with somebody in New York and you've come along and replaced them. So having that credibility, even though you didn't have a direct competitor, right? There was still, I presume, somebody in New York they were using. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a couple of tour guides that are like very jealous of, of my business. But for me, in the beginning, when I first started out, I couldn't sleep at night because of the jealousy. But after a while, it gives me actually energy and it pushes me forward. And there is enough business for everyone. It's too bad because a lot of the times I'm completely fully booked for Easter holidays, our biggest time of the year. We, we Like for 2020, we had more than 800 bookings for in 10 days. And if I'm completely fully booked, I don't mind to send them over to, I don't call them competitors, but conculeque in French, it's like colleague and competitor. And, and I don't care. That's it. Like everyone needs to make a living. Some people cannot do that. Like some people really have a grudge against you because they don't like the fact that you're more successful. Too bad for them. I want to talk to you more about, you said you, that you there at BNY are a content factory so what was the first medium what was the first platform you used for content facebook i was shocked that i heard um one of your previous guests said like yeah facebook forget about it it's all over it's done uh you have to focus on tiktok i almost fell off my chair <laughs> i was like no this 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 is so wrong facebook Probably, and we don't know, nobody knows, nobody can, can predict the future. But Facebook, even during this pandemic, I keep on growing. Instagram, I keep on growing. On Instagram, I grow 2,000 followers in the last 10 months. And to give an example, I don't pay any advertisement, especially now during the pandemic. But I had a reach of 300,000 people on Facebook alone. That's like 600,000 eyeballs that are watching my content. So for me, Facebook, I'm very grateful it's there. And um, Instagram, it's something where I work now like very heavily on because I see the potential. And TikTok, to be honest, I don't have figured out yet, but with Instagram, I started doing reels and the reels are working well. So now I think the step to TikTok is a little bit easier. And with Instagram reels, how did you learn Instagram reels? How did you learn to use it? Just by trying out, try and error. And looking up on YouTube videos, I'm a huge fan of YouTube. I, I watch everything on YouTube. Whatever I do, um, there is always a tech nerd or someone that is willing to explain and share. It's just finding out like the best one that yeah, appeals to you. And then that's it. Experimenting, trying out and just do it. Like my first reel was really stupid. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a little dance that I did with my daughter. But uh, it is what it is. It's a learning curve with everything. Yeah, so you had to not just learn to use Instagram Reels, right? Because I presume you were taking the videos yourself or did you hire someone to do that for you? 
Now, especially during the pandemic, I focused myself on, on learning new skills and doing new things, like creating my own videos was a big one. And it actually saved my business. Before uh, the COVID happened, I was an enormous gadget freak. When I did a big tour or when I worked hard during a whole season, I always wanted to reward myself. I had the feeling that I deserve things. It's maybe not too good. Like I bought a lot of, of like gadget, tech gadgets, cameras, camera gear, audio gear. And it's actually during the pandemic that I really started to learn how to use all that. Because before I bought it, but I never had the time to learn how to use properly. That's how I saved myself and my family during the pandemic. What camera do you use mainly? Canon EOS R, the digital camera from Canon. On the phone side, I use the 12 Pro Max, iPhone 12 Pro Max, and it's an amazing uh, quality, like amazing. It's unbelievable. Like the only reason why you would use like a professional camera instead of your phone is the sensor is a little bit smaller. So in bad light or when the light conditions are not that perfect, you need a professional camera. But if the light conditions are fine, your phone will do great. And also when you want to have a certain depth of field or a shallow depth of field, that of course with the phone is a little bit difficult with video. Yeah, I just bought uh, uh, an Osmo Pocket 2, which I'm still learning. I'm not really a good video guy. It's not really my favorite medium, but I figured I'd play around with it and struggling a little bit. I've got a lot of learning to do. It's the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a good piece of kit. It's just me, <laughs> to be honest. So you mentioned on Facebook that you've got a big following there, but you're not using Facebook ads. How did you grow your audience on Facebook then? One person at a time. Like created an app. Also something that was really helpful for, for my business. And I think everyone should invest in that. It's like one of the basics, like have a good accountant, have a good branding, but then the other thing is like have a very good customer relationship management program because that's key. If one day you want to have your kids involved in the business or you want to sell your business, your asset is your customer base and the suppliers you work with and all your know-how. And especially if you're growing and you have like new people on board, they need to be very quickly up and running. And if you have a good customer relationship management program, it can be very easy. Now, if I, a new person coming into the company, in one week, they're up and running. They know all the pricing. They know all the, they know how, how we work. I build up um, a system that with the customer relationship program that at the end of the tour, I could easily capture their email and I will send them the picture of the end of the tour. And I ask them to share it on Facebook and on Instagram and whatever. And that helps generate like more activity towards your own uh, Facebook page. And which CRM did you say you use? I use a Daylight because I'm a I'm a heavy Mac user, and Daylight is is one of the um, leading CRM, especially made for Mac users. So they have a very good application on the iPad. They have a very good application on the iPhone, on the Mac, and it's beautiful. It's fun to work with, and that's also very important. Definitely. And I'll share these resources and links on the show notes, which our listeners can find at tourpreneur.com forward slash 133. And, you know, I was looking at your Facebook account earlier on because I'm very fascinated by how brands promote themselves on Facebook. And I can see, for instance, that you posted a picture 16 hours ago of New York and you have over 113 likes and loves and everything else already. That's on because... I saw like during the pandemic, people are missing New York so much that 
I found it my role to give them New York in, in one way or another through live streamings, to videos, to pictures. And I was very shocked that I sometimes I put like uh, my iPhone in my car and I just go around for a ride of an hour. And I say like, okay, where shall we go? People love it. And, and I'm so, so shocked that people love it, but they love just like seeing the streets of New York. And then I put like a New York radio station and then they're commenting about, oh, which, which radio station it is. And oh, thanks for bringing us uh, the good memories and the good souvenirs. And because there's a lot of people that are in lockdown and a lot of people that need entertainment and they have seen already everything on Netflix. There is, by the way, a very good show if you're a New York lover that you need to see. It's Pretend It's a City. It's amazing. You will love it. Hmm, I'll have to check that out. Miss New York all over again. Oh, you, you're going to miss it so. And it's so funny and, and it's great. It's one of the best things that came out on Netflix for a long time. Yeah. I'm just curious with the Facebook thing. Sorry, I keep going over this because I think it's something we all struggle with. So in those early days, you've got your Facebook page up, you're sharing photos. And I can imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it took a little while to build up your following, right? Because I've noticed that with other tour operators. How did you emote yourself to keep on posting? Because you know, it's quiet at the start and you always hear this vision. But for people who are starting right now, for instance, you know, it, it doesn't just happen overnight, as we keep saying. It's a full-time job. And especially the last 10 months, it's, it's been a full-time job. I'm, I'm like constant. I force myself also to go out and I force myself to capture things and to make reels. Yeah, it's like a, the positive reaction. If people like it, it, it motivates you even more. So it's like, yeah, it, it, it makes me keep going. Yeah, and I even think, you know, Patrick, it's coming to a point where if we want to grow the Facebook audience, then you need to schedule that time in and say, right, from 10 till 10.30 every day, I'm engaging with our followers, I'm looking at other pages, I'm learning, not just, oh, I'm on a whim, I've just taken a nice picture. And I've been guilty of this. I mean, my Instagram account on Torpreneur is pretty poor, but it's because I'm, I'm not really doing anything that's so visual, right? Um, but, you know, you just take that one picture and then you don't pay, post again for two weeks. You can't do that. You have to, it's like, I keep saying to people with Facebook, it's like a, when you're doing, a, you know, growing fruit or sorry, growing vegetable in the garden or flowers, you can't just plant the seeds and that's it. You've got to be out there every day watering them and pruning them and looking after them. And I really do feel it's the same with, with social media. Yeah. And what for me worked as well is, is like each time when Instagram comes with a new feature, jump on it. I was one of the first ones to start with Reels. Immediately, like you feel that Instagram is pushing it even more. Now they see that I do virtual and, and, and tours. I see that uh, Facebook is trying to get me online to their system to do uh, paid virtual tours online. Well, they see Amazon doing it now and I'm sure they're rubbing their hands. All these companies need to grow, right? With the revenues and so forth. That, But, you know, I like that you are paying attention to what's happening. And also in our daily brief that I send out to tour operators every day, I always include a little section that I call hashtag always be learning. And generally that's some aspect of digital marketing because there's so much that's changing and evolving. It's really hard to keep up, isn't it? It is really hard. But, um, but uh, thanks to you, I, I'm working on a new adventure. Uh, with these virtual tours. In the beginning, I didn't want to do it. I, I was like, no way I'm going to do a virtual tour because I worked like so many years to build a positive brand with positive reviews. And I was afraid that there can so many things can go wrong wrong with a, with a virtual tour. 
I can be in bad shape technically, like the Wi-Fi cannot be okay, the camera cannot be okay. And also you don't have the full attention of the customer because you cannot see them in the eyes. They're sitting there, they might have just a fight with their wife and then at the same time trying to get distracted and try to see something from New York. But the atmosphere, you have no control over it. But then... In December, one of the tour operators that I work with, he said like, you know, we have to do it. We did a virtual tour in Japan. They're like, you have to do it. You have to do it. I said, okay. So uh, a week of, of barely sleeping and trying to figure out the best setup, like the best way, the best gear, the best audio, the best technique, the best thing. When I figured that out, I started experimenting with it. And then I did three virtual tours and it was unbelievable. We had... um for the last tour, more than 1,900 subscribers. We only had like 1,000 seats available. And I, had, I was walking around on Christmas Day with 1,000 customers. And I showed them like, and they loved it. And the funny thing is like in Europe, we are not used to pay gratuity. So I came up with the idea from a fellow tour guide and said like, yeah, do you know this system? It's called Buy Me A Coffee. And I looked it up. I created the account. And it worked. Like I made on Christmas Day, of course, it's a special day, more than $2,000 on coffees. For the three tours, I made like $6,000 donation. And the review is like that people, they were so thankful. Like just the fact that they just buy you a coffee, it's not a real coffee, it's a virtual coffee, it's just money. But the fact that, it's, that they think that it's a coffee and it, it feels it's, they don't feel it as money and they're like willing to share but then I, I, I talked with, with fellow tour guides and they said, oh, I want to do it as well. I do it as well. I said like, yeah, but don't forget, it took me like during the whole pandemic, I was posting every single day and these are followers that are following me for a long time. And this is also not for that on, only one virtual tour they're paying me. It's actually, they're also like showing their gratitude for all the other stuff that I do, the free podcasts. And I see the same thing with my daily email that, you know, I have the buy me a coffee thing on there. And I'm always very, very moved when somebody buys me a coffee. Because they're thanking you for all your work that you're putting in. I and didn't they see that, to be honest. I'm going to buy you a coffee. Once we hang up, I'm going to buy no, you a no, coffee. No, no, you, no. You, you are doing so much more by coming on the show. No, no, no. It's fine. And it is actually, that's really good feedback for me because I get very nervous about promoting it. It's kind of at the bottom. Um, but people still find it. That's the thing. I, I've done very well from it. People find it. And it's them saying thank you for all the content. And that means a great deal to us as content providers. Have you considered, or actually, have you tried... Um, Amazon's virtual tours yet, just to compare? No, no. And that's also why I'm not working with other OTAs. I mean, I'm very keen on my own brand. I want to be the Intel from the laptop period. And the problem with like Airbnb and with, because Airbnb, Airbnb contacted me all in the beginning when they were just working on the idea of doing virtual experiences. And I said, no, because I don't want to be an Airbnb experience because otherwise they can replace you whenever they want. I mean, I love Amazon. I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. I mean, I love receiving the packages and the convenience and whatever only, but I'm also afraid of Amazon because they're so powerful and so big and I'm afraid of it. I don't want to be an Amazon experience. I want to be a Be New York experience together with Amazon. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see where they go with it. I've gone on three of them just to test them out. They had a Black Friday deal on because they're expensive and like anything else with technology, it's like the first 
iPod was expensive. And then when you get it, if it breaks, you just go out and buy another one because you love it, right? <laughs> and it's kind of it was the same thing with the Explore. Once I'd done the first virtual tour, and bear in mind, it's one-to-one live stream, right? It's, it's not a group. And I enjoyed it. And I did three to evaluate for the show. The one thing I will say about Amazon is they will not stay in an industry if they can't make it work. I remember they got involved in hotels and deals and I think they lasted three months and then they pulled out completely. So I'm intrigued. They've done a lot of testing around the world with this and it'll be interesting to see what they've learned. And I think for me, what I couldn't quite get my head around is when they have the beta, you know, the test tour guides going out and they have to be evaluated four or five different times. Like uh, John O'Sullivan was talking with us on the show and they were not evaluated by travel people. They were evaluated by Amazon people. And I'm like, well, do Amazon staff really understand our industry? Why didn't they go and hire tour guides or travel professionals? Hey, we're going to, you know, you can go on these tours and evaluate them for us. So interesting to see how that grows. But I, it is a threat. And I see that, Patrick. But then on the other hand, if someone does an Amazon Explore because they're very good at marketing, right, or they, somebody gets gifted it and they go on and go, oh, I actually, now I like a virtual tour. It's not like a Zoom thing. And then they see your marketing and think, Amazon's already done the hard work for you, Patrick, because someone's already gone on a virtual tour with them. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll def- I had so much fun last time, I'll do it again, maybe. Yeah, that's true. And, and I'm actually, I mean, listening to your podcast, I got inspired by it and I'm now working together. My wife gives me two weeks. I have two weeks from last week to make it happen because if, it, if it's not happening and it's not bringing money on the table, I have to abandon it. But um, I'm working on... Um, uh, how to make the perfect New York cocktail, Manhattan or whatever cocktail it, it will be. And it will be a very cheap price to enter, like two coffees, $10. But if they want, they will have sent all the ingredients directly to their home. And I found a very good supplier who is doing that. It's not that expensive. It's like 25 euros for a whole box with with a shaker and, and everything uh, that will be brought at their home. I'm trying to build it. I'm trying to work it out. And I have another week to go and, and, and maybe like it will be up and running uh, and we will, yeah, start doing virtual experience with, because I, I do believe like the idea of, of going somewhere and having something tangible that goes with it. I believe in that. And then receiving the box with a playlist with the music of New York and an ingredient. Yeah, I, I, I believe in that. Scott's Pizza Tours there in New York, he did something similar where he sent out, you know, some of the ingredients for a pizza and he gave a pizza making class. And I thought that was very clever. You know, it's something to fun to do at home when you have those all together. What's the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you when it comes to growing your own business, Patrick? Oh, I received so many advice from so many different people. And I think my best advice is like, take all the advice you can from everyone but still stick to your gut feeling. When, whenever an important decision to make, I'm lucky to have been guiding so many interesting and cool people, people with very successful in different businesses and, and whatsoever. And, and I have like a, a trust relationship with them. And when I have an important decision to make, I call them up and I ask them and consult them. And I do like two or f- three or four different people. And then I do my own thing anyway. And I see what suits me the best. But it's very dangerous to follow just one advice from one person, unless it's your wife. Of course. Right. Yes, always. <laughs> but I, I like that. I like, I've always suggested to people they have, you know, almost like when you're in government, you have a cabinet 
and you talk ideas through. And there's, you know, if you have four or five people that you really trust, and especially if they're outside the industry, they may be working in another business and they have a whole different outlook. I have a very good friend of mine who, who mentors me and she works in investment banking. You know, it's nice just to hear from someone who's outside and not in our bubble. Absolutely. And that's fun. I'm very shocking and surprising. I have to tell it to you, to you um, or share it with you because one time you were talking about arrival. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> you were saying like, like if your advertising agency is uh, never been to arrival and doesn't know what it is, it's not a good advertising. You should not think of working with them. And I was like, oh my God, I so disagree because for me, I never been to Arrival, but you hyped it so much that next time I want to go to Arrival. And that's thanks to you, Sean. But um, I think sometimes it's very good to have people from outside the business that don't know the business at all and bring in the experience from the other industries towards our business. Let me just say this. Look what you've created. You've gone out, you created a brand, you've marketed, you're getting press attention, you've written a book, you've got a podcast, you've got a really cool YouTube channel, and you've done that working with agencies who, who may not know who Arrival is. So at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. You have made it work. So you've proved my hypothesis wrong. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I still love you to death. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we all agreed, it would be a, it would be a very boring world. But no, that is the cool thing about this podcast and creating content is you get to speak to different people who have different ideas, and that's exactly I stand here. I love hearing that because you've gone and done something different. I think my question is very often I receive emails from listeners who've hired a marketing agency from outside the industry, and and they've ended up burning through a ton of cash because that agency hasn't actually taken the time to learn the landscape. I think that's the big issue. Yeah, I understand that as well. If there is one other piece of advice that I, that I can give you, I mean, the audience, of course, what really saved my year last year, I mean, for us, it was a traumatic experience like everyone. I mean, this year, 20, 2020 was going to be the best year ever. But um, all of a sudden, uh, everything was cancelled. And for us, it was even more hard because we have a beautiful family, like two kids, but the youngest one needs a lot of attention, medical attention. And there were a couple of like surgeries planned. And all of a sudden, with all the income that vanished, we were afraid that we couldn't pay for the medical bills anymore. And so very quickly, we had to turn around the situation. And that's when you become like very creative. And so one of the things we did, of course, was like, we unfortunately had to let everyone go uh, within the company. We said like, we were very sorry. We made sure that eh, they get paid till the last cent that we owe them. And they all are, were on unemployment right away. We did cost cutting like to the extreme, coming from a very luxurious lifestyle where I bought every gadget that I saw and went like seven times a week to a restaurant that was sometimes we even ordered breakfast uh, to get delivered at home to all of a sudden nothing, like not doing a thing. But then there's a couple of things that happened. The community that I've built over the years all of a sudden came together. So all of a sudden the customers became like to the rescue. A friend of mine started to go fund me because he saw the stress that I had in my eyes, like with all the medical bills and everything that, that I was a little bit panicking. And then of course the media in Belgium was like, in March, everyone remembered <laughs> where New York went through in March. We had even like a ship coming, a hospital ship. So that helped. But on the other hand, I very quickly had to find another way to make a, a certain living. And then I think it was my wife came up with a genius idea. I said, okay, why are you not reaching out to Belgian media? Tourists cannot come to New York. 
why not trying to propose something like videos and creating content for them? Because newspapers are always also uh, looking for content. And the journalist could not travel. So because nobody is allowed, eh? there's a travel ban. And the biggest newspaper in Belgium agreed. They gave us a chance. We came up with a concept. The idea was like um, me going around in my scooter. I have like a little Vespa, very European. With the Vespa, I was going to New York in a safe way to, to find stories, positive stories about New York. And they paid for it and they paid good money for it. And um, the advantage for us was that at the same time, we reached a huge audience that saw my yellow jacket on the Vespa. <laughs> I was helping the brand, but at the same time, we got paid for it and we learned a new skill. And I think over, is it now 600 or 700,000 people uh, watched the video? So it's more than a million eyeballs. It's, it was huge. You basically had to turn yourself into a journalist, a reporter, and go out and find good stories and, and be able to tell those stories and share those stories. It's, it's something that, it's not easy. I mean, you make it sound easy, but it's a lot of hard work. It was a crazy a lot amount of work, but we went on, on so high energy and, and we had to. I mean, we had our son that uh, needed the medical attention. So then you, you have all this strength all of a sudden and you make it work. Then actually it went so well that um, for the elections, they gave us another assignment to make five portraits of five different people and this time like really small documentaries. We said, okay, we're going to do it. And then right before we want to start shooting, my son had his surgery. I mean, he, the surgery was scheduled. We did pre-surgical testing and my son happens to have COVID. <laughs> One year and a half and he had COVID. It was very uh, like it, it, it put a toll on us. But then we fought through it. Surprisingly, we didn't caught the virus. And then a week later, we were able to make the five portraits. And um, yeah, we, I mean, I'm proud of it. We managed to do it. And it was uh, really a teamwork between me and my wife. My wife never had done video editing before. I mean, small little projects for us in the past. And she worked day and night. And it was a, a real teamwork. And we become stronger together as a family. For sure. What editing software did you use? Premiere Pro. Wow, that's quite the story. And how's your boy doing now? Great. I mean, he's one year and a half. He had already five serious surgeries, but he's like a real New Yorker. He just powered through and, and, and he do it. And also, I'm very open also on my social media. I never, I mean, a lot of tour guides only picked posters or pictures of New York. I mean, I include my family in it. And I did it straight from the beginning, like... I am who I am and that's also where you come on a tour. I mean, you're a customer, but most of all, I want to be your friend as well. I mean, I want you to have the feeling that you can rely on me showing you the city in a fun way. Yeah, it's not business to business. It's It has to be a fun thing. Well, I knew this would happen. We've, we've run out of time and I still have a ton more questions. So I'm hoping that... You know, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but at some point this year, I'll come to New York, we'll go somewhere nice for coffee and we'll do an in-person interview and chat about some of the other areas I'd be keen to hear about. I would ask you, I know you're really busy, but I would love for you to write a book on content creation because I think what you've done being New York is incredible, all the different platforms and what you've learned. And I know that 2020, and I said this on air a lot, was, okay, we're not taking tours now is the time we can actually work on projects that we've been meaning to work on, whether that's your website or your booking engine or photography. And I think many of us 
myself included, you know, I signed up for so many courses and I either didn't do them or I rushed through them and didn't spend time on them. I achieved a few things last year that I wanted to learn. But what you've done, you've been laser focused. I'm working on my fourth book um, because next year I want to have another book coming out. But uh, I'm happy to write a book about content creating. But I encourage you to write a book, Sean, because you have so many stories from so many different people and all these information you have, if you can like summarize it and the best bits and bytes put in a book, I mean, it will become a bestseller in no time. It's funny, you're not the first person to suggest that. And uh, I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm one of these people that if I can't do something better than what's already out there, I won't do it. It's the same with you with your tours, right? If somebody else was doing this, you'd be like, well, I can't do it better than that, etc. And I think the same with books as well, that... I'm definitely looking at what's out there and what I can do that's different and will hopefully make a difference. You already showed, sorry to interrupt you, but you already showed with your podcast that you bring something unique and, and something, something very valuable. So write that book, Sean. Hang up and I'm going to buy you a couple of coffees because you deserve it. <laughs> no, that's very kind. Where can people find out more about you, Patrick? My Instagram is actually my name. It's Patrick Van Rosendale. My books are sold on Amazon, <laughs> funny enough, but also in, in the regular bookstore. It's called Be New York. On Facebook, it's also Be New York. I will add all those links to the show notes. So for all of you who are out maybe on your treadmill or walking the dog or whatever it may be, taking photos maybe for your, your tours, you can find that at tourpreneur.com forward slash 133. Danke well, Patrick. You're welcome. Bitte schön. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.